If you would, in your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23. We're going to begin reading at verse number 20. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse number 20. Benaiah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand, and Benaiah went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, did, and won a name among three mighty men. Now, if the odds were ever stacked against anyone, I think we can agree it was Benaiah. First of all, he confronted two of Moab's greatest warriors. Now, you have to understand this wasn't a tag team match where he got to fight one and then the other. No, Benaiah was double teamed against two of this nation's greatest warriors, and he overcame. Benaiah also takes on a what the Bible says, what the Bible calls a spectacular Egyptian. The Bible says that the Egyptian had a spear and Benaiah had a staff. Now, I don't know what you think of, but when I think of a staff, I think of a, a shepherd's crook. You know one of those sticks that has the hook on the end of it? And so I would think that the edge in weapons would go to a sharp spear and not some stick that Bo Peep carried. And then in addition to the mismatch, the Bible says that this Egyptian was spectacular. And some scholars speculate that to mean that this guy was over seven feet tall. So Benaiah was outmanned physically and in weaponry. But yet somehow, Benaiah wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and killed him with it. Well, and then you also have Benaiah's tangle with a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Now, we don't know if he had a weapon or not when he went in the pit, but we certainly know that it wasn't a hunting rifle. Listen, if I'm going to go into a pit with a lion, whether it's snowing or not, I'm taking a bazooka. You know? I mean, that's just, that's just all there is to it. And so probably Benaiah fought this lion hand to paw. A lion can easily tip the scales at over 400 pounds. A lion can run faster. A lion can jump higher. And the truth is, the lion probably saw Benaiah as an hors d'oeuvre before the main course. So reality says that the odds were stacked against Benaiah. But you see, Benaiah did what lion slayers do. He defied the odds. He overcame the odds. He didn't focus on his disadvantages. He didn't whine and cry, cry that the cards were stacked against him. He didn't make excuses about his situation because lion slayers have this conviction deep down on the side of them that their God is bigger than any circumstance that they're going to face. Now, friend, you need to understand impossible odds are the stage that God sets up to reveal to us who he really is. And sometimes God chooses not to intervene until it becomes humanly impossible. But I want you to know my God is an on-time God who loves impossible odds. Now, let's be honest. In many cases, so do we. We love the underdog. 
There's no greater joy than accomplishing something that someone said that we weren't able to do. And so maybe that's why God invites us to defy the odds of impossibility. Perhaps that's why he allows the odds to be stacked against us so that he can purposefully reveal his glory in those situations. I know this for sure. Once the battle was over, there wasn't any doubt in Benaiah's mind who deserved the praise after he defeated the Moabite twins. I can assure you there wasn't any doubt in Benaiah's mind who the glory belonged to after he defeated the Egyptian. And I guarantee you that in that snowy, blood-stained pit, standing over the carcass of that dead lion, Benaiah had a personal revival because he knew and he understood that the impossibility was so great that it would have never happened in his own power. It was nothing but the blood and the power of God that would re- saw him through that day. God will do the impossible when we put our faith in him. But you see, so many times we pray that God is going to resolve our issues by reducing the odds that are against us. I mean, we want all the cards stacked in our favor. We want our trouble to disappear. We pray that God will take the hurdle away instead of praying for the strength and the faith to overcome the hurdle. I guess that's just me. I guess you guys don't pray that prayer. I guess you guys are strong say, bring it on, Lord. Hit me with your best shot. Not me. I say, Lord, deliver me out of this without any sweat. But you see, maybe God allows the odds to be stacked against us so we can experience a miracle of divine proportions. Because you need to understand there is a part of God that you're never going to know until you get caught in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. So the first question I'd like to pose to you this morning is, are you a lion slayer? Or are you going to run away from adversity are you going to back down or will you turn and look your lion right in the eye and realize that your god is bigger than any obstacle you're going to face now the thing is you're never going to know until your back is against the wall and the odds are stacked against you so what is it going to be now As we try to answer that question, of course, we know that our God is a big God. We all know that God is the ultimate superhero. But let's be honest. Even though we know that most of the time, because of everything he has to do, even though he can do all things, we think that he's too busy to do it for me. Again, I guess that's just me. I guess you guys don't ever think that. Well, see, the problem is that we tend to think of God in the four dimensions that we, that we live in, which is length, width, height, and the dimension of time. Now, you and I, we're trapped in our dimensions. And you've never understood the need to be in more than one place at one time unless you are Almighty God or unless you have the responsibility of multiple kids at Chuck E. Cheese restaurants. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? It's bad enough when it's one-on-one, and the, you know, the odds aren't that bad when it's two-on-two. But when you get more than two or three kids, I mean, you're outnumbered. I know a guy, and, and 
The guy has six kids. Now, if you have six or more kids, it's okay. I'm not, you know, that's, that's great. That's great. But this guy was telling me one time, he said, Mike, you know, when you have more than two, it doesn't matter if you have three or 20. So just keep on having kids. Now, I can assure you that word was not from God to me. No way was that word from God to me. I, that wasn't from the Lord. But if you've been there, you can relate. I mean, you're a Chuck E. Cheese and there are hundreds of kids, the noise, the soda, the pizza. It's a pounding caffeine and sugar and carbo carbohydrate nuclear explosion. Your kids are saying, my brother put gum in my hair. The game ain't my token. I want this and I want that. Daddy, 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 daddy. And you just want to scream, shut up. Well, think about God. There are 7 billion people on this planet saying, I want this, I want that. My brother put gum in my hair. The game ate my token. How do you keep track of all of them at the same time? How do you count all of those hairs that keep falling out? How do you process the infinite, infinite number of prayer requests? I mean, let me bring it to where you and I are living today. We're facing the midterm elections, right? Correct? The left is praying against the right. The right is praying against the left. And everyone is convinced their guy or their gal is God's will. How do you do it? How does God do it? You see, we don't understand because we can't comprehend it because we are limited by the four dimensions of our existence. And what that simply means is as human beings, we can only be in one place at one time. That is, unless I think, I think maybe mothers have an exception to that. So I think mothers are everywhere and know everything. So, you know, God's the ultimate superheroes. Moms are kind of right under that because they have supernatural powers that kids and men just cannot understand. But anyway, time is linear, and I am trapped in this moment. I can't go back to yesterday. I can't fast forward to tomorrow. But God is omnipresent, and he is everywhere all the time. And so the next question I want to ask you, the issue this morning is not how big your problem is. The issue might be how big is your God, but the real issue that we've got to figure out today is how big are you going to let your God be in your life? That is the question. Now, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Word of God says, Now the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, most of you know this is a creation story. In the beginning, the Spirit of God was hovering over chaos. And I want you to know, friend, nothing has changed in these thousands of years because God is still hovering over the chaos and the darkness in your life. And just like at creation, he wants to create order and he wants to speak beauty into your situation while he fills the void of what you think is impossible in your life. God hovered over the waters of the deep. Now, the word hovered comes from the two-dimensional Hebrew word called panim, P-A-N-I-Y-M, panim. 
In regards to time, in regards to time, panim refers to the split second before something happens and simultaneously at the split second after something happens. In regards to space, panim refers to whatever is right in front of you and simultaneously what is right behind you. You see, this is what the psalmist meant when he said, I look behind me, God, and you were there. I look ahead of me, and you are there as well. You see, it's what it means when Jesus said, I am. His I am encompasses everything. It means that he was there yesterday, he's already in your tomorrow, and he is certainly in your today all at the same time. Let me try to explain it to you this way. This is a hard concept to grasp. It's like God is saying that I'm going to put a parenthesis around the time and space of your entire life. And I'm going to transcend both of those parentheses. And I am hovering over you because I am with you all the time. And we are trapped, you and I are trapped by time and space. But God, who is on the outside looking into our parentheses, is the creator of time and space. There is no right before or right after to God. He is in everything at the same time because God is infinite and he has no dimensional limitations. Friend, you need to understand that his right now and your right now are not the same moment in time. Because he is in yesterday, he is in tomorrow, and he is in right now at the same time. You see, that's why I can believe that he's in my future before I ever get there. God is an enormously big God, and your problem will become very small when you can actually see him for who he is. So the next question I want you to think about today is, what comes to your mind when you think about God? What is God to you? Now, while you're thinking about that, you need to understand that whatever comes to your mind when you think about God, that is going to determine your future. Because however big you see God in your life is going to determine what God can do in your life. And the greatest tragedy in anyone's life is that as we get older, as we supposedly, hopefully, mature in Christ, the big tragedy is, is, is if our God gets smaller. If life has been so difficult... And for whatever reason, we think prayers haven't been answered, and all of a sudden, we start shrinking what we feel like God can do in our life. But today, friend, I want you to know that maybe it's time to stop placing our four-dimensional limits on God. Maybe it's time to stop putting God in a box the size of our cerebral cortex. Maybe it's time to stop creating God in our image and let him start creating us in his image. And if we do that, the bigger God will get, and the bigger God will get, the smaller our lions that we have to face become. Psalms 139 says that before you ever took your first breath, God wrote the days of your life in a book. How many know the soap opera days of your lives or our lives? What is it? Is it still on? 
See, that, that, that's from the Word of God. No, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. That soap opera is not from God. No, no. They, they got the name from God. But God wrote the days of our lives in a book before we were born. Our grandson Ezekiel is getting ready to be born. Every day of his life has already been pinned out by Almighty God. And what that means is that God has every contingency of your life already planned out before you ever get to that crossroad. All of your what ifs, your I don't knows, or all of your what should I do's, they've already been seen by Almighty God, and a solution is already in the works. God has every possible contingency of what was going to happen in your life diagrammed before you ever got that spanking on your bottom by that doctor. You know, back in 1997, IBM designed a computer, and they called it Big Blue. And then they, it was built to, to figure out contingencies. And the reason why they built it, it, it was kind of interesting. They built it to play a chess match. This computer was going to face the uh, grandmaster chess player, Gary Kasparov. Supposedly, this machine could calculate 200 million moves a second. 200 million moves a second. I have trouble with one move a minute. Let's see, chocolate or vanilla? French fries or onion rings? Well, the name of this machine was Big Blue, and it defeated the Grandmaster of Chess because it could process millions of different contingencies in one second. But friend, I want you to know 2 million, 200 million contingencies are nothing compared to the omniscient one, our great God, who with the breath of a word created the heavens and the earth and everything contained in the heavens and the earth, who with the most detailed thought pinned every contingency you're ever going to face in less than a nanosecond. And the reason I use this example is I want to show you that we need to think of our life as a game of chess. And God is the grand master, and we are his pawns. Now, we don't have any idea what our next move is going to be, but God has already predetermined 200 billion moves ahead of where you want to go. Now, sometimes those moves don't make sense. Sometimes those moves are scary, but God has already seen the end of the game, and I assure you, when you follow him, you will win. And sometimes, as much as we hate it, sometimes his plan leads us into a pit on a snowy day to face a lion. But he does that so he can demonstrate his glory in our lives. But you see, when we do have to go into that pit, God is still leading the way. The question is, can we trust him? Will we trust him? Because, friend, I can assure you, God wants you to get where you need to be more than you want to get to where you need to be. He's always behind the scenes. God is always behind the scenes engineering circumstances, and he is setting us up for success. And what might appear to be a momentary setback is actually, from God's unobstructed perspective of hovering over us, is a set up for him to reveal himself to you and to those around you how really big your God is. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, we are God's workmanship, and God don't make no junk. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God already has it figured out. Now notice this word prepared. In ancient times, when a king wanted to go to another city, he would send a messenger ahead to look for a safe route, to, to look for a safe passage. In other words, to prepare the way. But I want you to know God, our God, turns the table. Because now it's not the servant going ahead of the king, but it's the king of kings and the Lord of lords going ahead, and he is preparing your road for you. And God says in Isaiah 45, I will go before you. I will make the crooked road straight. I will level the gates of bronze. He then says in Isaiah 40, I will make the mountains flat before you. What God is saying is I am going to step into your tomorrow, and if I see a lion in a pit on a snowy day, I am still going to invite you to come in because I already know that I am going to give you the victory. Listen to me. You are not the first person to step into your next moment. Almighty God is already there. What does that mean, Mike? Well, that means that he knows at noon on Thursday what the doctor is going to say Friday at 10. And he wasn't surprised when the doctor told you. He wasn't nervous when you found out about that report because God goes before you and God knows there are the Moab twins. He's aware of the spectacular Egyptian and he says, I am going to show you my glory and my power. So he's saying, friend, don't worry. You can be happy because what looks like a lion in a pit on a snowy day, what looks like a 500 pound problem is really God setting things up so he can get glory from the miracle that he is about to perform in your life. He ordered our footsteps, but he's already walked our footsteps, and he knows what we need. But sometimes we have to determine what we need. Is there something special that you need from God today? Over in 2 Kings chapter 6, there's a story about Elisha the prophet. And during this particular passage, it talks about that he had a school. Elisha had a school for young prophets. And on this particular day, the students were chopping down trees. Now, I don't know what chopping down trees has to do with being a prophet. The Bible doesn't say, but I'm sure that there was some reason that these guys were chopping down trees. And many of you may know this story because uh, the axe head of one of the young preachers flies off the handle, flies off its handle and goes and plops down in the river and sinks. Well, the kid panics and he says in verse 5, Alas, master, it was borrowed. Bad enough, the axe head is gone, but it was a borrowed axe. Now, logic says if you drop your iron axe head into a river, let it go, man, it's gone. And so what's funny to me is that the kid didn't turn around asking Elisha for a miracle because the axe head's gone. He turned to Elisha asking for sympathy. Now, none of us are guilty of that, are we? 
God, why did that have to happen? Why did that? He's never done that before. Now, the reality is that because cast iron weighs about 7.2 grams per cubic centimeter, go ahead, feel free to look it up on Google after the service, not now. 7.2 grams per cubic centimeter, cubic centimeter, iron axe heads do not float. Or do they? Well, there's only one way to find out. Pray. Pray an unreasonable, ridiculous prayer. Because sometimes to overcome the Moabite twins, to defeat the Egyptian, to slay a lion in a pit on a snowy day, you have to pray an outlandish, ridiculous prayer. I had such an occasion of doing that. Last time my dad was in Malawi, back when he was still alive, it was in 2007. He went over there to speak to the 50th anniversary of the Assemblies of God in Malawi. I mean, this is going to be a big deal. The president of Malawi was going to be there. Along with the thousands of people that would be attending the service, it was going to be broadcast over the national radio station and the national television station of the country. And so what that meant is that all of Malawi would have access to this event. And guess who was in charge of the sound and the lights? Me. Now, it was not that big a deal. We had equipment there. We knew what we were faced with. And so the main piece of equipment that we needed to make this thing happen was a generator because, obviously, we're in a big field and we need to have lights, we need to have sound, so we need to have electricity. Well, just a couple years before that, we had sent over a brand-new generator, computerized. I mean, it was really nice. And so, I mean, this was a slam dunk, no problem. We roll it up, flip the switch, press the button, boom, we'd have electricity. Well, so we arrived on the site, set it up, flipped the switch, and it purred just like a kitten, fat on mama's milk. Ah, so sweet. And we had electricity. But then we realized that Houston, we have a problem. Because the electricity we had was 290 volts instead of 110 volts. Now, lights and sound does not like 290 volts. It doesn't like much over 110 volts. And so what had happened was that a family of rats had moved in and set up housekeeping in the generator housing. And to enjoy their surroundings, they feasted on the wiring insulation that was going from the computer to the voltage regulator. Short of the computer out. Translation, the generator was nothing more than a big old paperweight at that stage. Now, you would, have, you would think that I panicked. You would think that, right? Now, if you would think that I got mad, you were right. I really got mad. But I wasn't worried because I had another generator. I'm not a Boy Scout, but I was prepared. One thing you learn about Africa, Dave, as you well know, you have duplicates. If it's important, you have a backup. Well, so this other generator we had, we had sent it over back in 1989, and it was a World War II 
rebuilt generator. We called it the ox. I mean, it was big, it was cumbersome and ugly, but I want you to know hundreds of thousands of Malawians had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ because of this generator. And we needed it again. And the moral of that story is no one's ministry is ever over. Friend, don't ever think that God doesn't have something for you to do in his kingdom. Well, it was dark when we got up to the site. The service was the next morning at 10. I mean, we didn't have electricity yet. But anyway, so we stumbled around in the dark. We finally got the ox set up and, and uh, the panels and the wires ran. So we were ready to, to push the button to start the ox up. Uh, we'd robbed batteries from out of our vehicles to put into the engine because the batteries were dead because we weren't planning on using it. Well, we pushed the start button and <laughs> nothing. You know, I told you before how I wasn't worried. Now, I was worried. And so we, we traced it back, we researched it, and what we found out is that the, the starter was bad. We opened up the starter, and we found out that the Bendix was broke. Anybody know a Bendix? I'm sure you do, yeah. little plastic piece. It was broke. And so if we're in the States, no problem. We run down to Pet Boys. We spend $2.25, and we're back in business. Problem is, we're not in the U.S., we're in Africa, there is no pet boys, and no one brought an extra Bendix for the starter in their carry-on luggage. Well, my brother-in-law, Gary, he has a great idea. Well, we'll super glue the Bendix back together. Plastic, super glue likes plastic, bingo, we're in business. Nobody had any super glue. You know, it's not something I put in my toilet bag, my toiletries. Very super glue. In case my ear falls off, I can glue it back. I, yeah, we don't have super glue. Well, my, my brother-in-law, he continues with his great ideas, and he remembers that my sister has fake fingernail glue. Are you with me up so far? I know I'm kind of belaboring this point, but it's, it's still amazing to me. The, the success of this national event... The president's going to be there. The reputation of the Assembly of God is all going to hinge on fake fingernails. Are you understanding the gravity of the situation yet? We got the glue. We stuck the part together. We didn't dare chance it, so we let it set overnight. Next morning, 6 a.m., day of celebration. I mean, we're scurrying around. We installed the super glued starter into the generator. As the president of Malawi arrives, we are plugging up the last audio cords. We're going on television, live television in 15 minutes, and I'm lying out my backside to my dad. He says, are we good? Are we good? I'm going. God, forgive me for lying. I don't know if we're good or not. I don't know if we're going to have power. And there is no backup plan. There's about six of us. And we gather around the generator. I kid you not, I can see it like it happened five minutes ago. We hold hands and we pray a ridiculous prayer. 
Lord, let the glue hold. Let the glue hold. Now, logic would tell you that fingernail glue isn't going to fix a broken down World War II generator. Reason would tell you that an axe head isn't going to float. But we pray a ridiculous prayer, Lord, let it work. And as we press the starter, the starter kicks in, the old diesel engine coughs and sputters. And then I hear the sweetest sound I've ever heard, the sweet purr of that old diesel engine running. It was music to my ears. And God answered a ridiculous prayer. Logic went right out the window. And God gave the victory over a lion in a pit on a snowy day. God revealed himself in the nick of time when there is no other way. And I want you to know God will reveal himself to you when your back is against the wall, when the odds are stacked against you, when you think there is no way out. God will show up. On a side note, we turned off the generator just to see if it was fixed. We tried to start it again, and it wouldn't start at all. The starter was dead. But it didn't matter because God came through when we needed it. So I can imagine, I can imagine what Elisha is thinking when he asks the young man, where did you lose the axe head? And at that point, Elisha, at that spot, Elijah throws a stick into the river and something occurs that has never happened before. Verse 6 says that iron did swim. What a great miracle. It's not a life and death situation. It's just an axe head. It's just a generator. And yet, my God cares. It's like when Jesus attended the wedding in Cana. Have you ever wondered why Jesus would make his first miracle something as insignificant as saving face for an embarrassed wedding host by turning water into wine? It's because these miracles reveal something about our God. It shows that he cares about little things like wedding receptions, borrowed axe heads, and broken generators. Friend, God is not God just because he can do anything, just because nothing is too big for him, but God is great because nothing is too small for him either. Lord, make the axe head swim. God, let the super glue hold. It sounds silly, doesn't it? But I want you to know sometimes faith borders on the rim of silly. Sometimes faith is at the edge of ridiculous. And there are miracles that we would have never heard about. There are miracles we will never receive if we do not have the audacity to pray an outrageously ridiculous prayer. Because they prove that there isn't anything too hard for God. And they prove that he can be in our yesterday, our today, and our tomorrow. But the main thing they prove is that he cares for us. But you know, what do we do? We tend to rank our miracles, don't we? It's like we're at a gymnastics meet. God did a financial miracle out to six. God heals cancer. Ooh, out to ten. But you see, friend, that's a false imitation. Because the truth is there that, that to the finite, to the infinite, to the infinite, 
all finites are equal. There's no easy or difficult to God. There's no possible or impossible to God because when it comes to Him, there is no degree of difficulty. It's no harder for God to heal cancer than it is to cure the common cold. It's no harder for God to retire $100 in debt or $1 million in debt. God is not confined by our definition of hard or easy. If you want proof of that, look at the feeding of the 5,000. The little boy has five loaves and two fishes. Doesn't matter how you fillet the fish or slice the bread, there's still going to be a lot of hungry people. But not in God's economy. Because in God's economy, five plus two equals 5,000 men plus women plus children, along with a remainder of 12 basketfuls. And they actually end up with more than they started with after feeding 10,000 people. And again, God is glorified because he beat the lion in a pit on a snowy day. A ridiculous prayer, an outrageous prayer, a, a preposterous prayer, a request is never ridiculous when you're asking the Lord who knows no limits. Big or small, God is God. Bow your heads with me if you would, please. Now, there's nobody here but you and me. No one here but you and me. So we can be honest with each other, right? You know, we hear about someone receiving something great from the Lord and Well, if we're honest, there are times that uh, perhaps we're a little bit jealous. Because, because we want to know, we may be happy for the person, but we want to know, God, why, why won't you do that for me? Well, today, friend, God is trying to get our attention. He wants us to understand that when we're whining, when we're scared, when we're nervous, that we are acting the opposite of a lion slayer. And when we do that, we accept things that we don't have to accept. When we start our little pity party of God, things are getting a little darker. God is getting scarier by the minute. We're facing the Moabite twins. There's an Egyptian with a spear and we're facing a lion. It's cold. We're stuck in this pit. What are we going to do? But friend, instead of that, we need to give God a chance. And with faith, we need to pray a prayer, even if it's a ridiculous prayer. Even if it's something as silly as God make iron swim or God make the glue hold. Because miracles will happen if we just have the faith to pray a ridiculous prayer and give God a chance to be God. What has happened is so many times we think God hasn't answered our prayer because he didn't answer it according to our time schedule. And so we think that he really doesn't care or we think he doesn't have the power that we used to think that he has. But friend, God has the answer to your dilemma. Whatever you're facing today, God has the plan already mapped out. And God steps in when things seem impossible. But you see, God is waiting for you and me to open the door to give Him the ability to work in our lives. 
you facing a lion in a snowy pit today? You need to make, you need God to make iron swim? Well, friend, whatever your situation, you need God to show up. Well, the real question is, do you have the audacity to pray a ridiculous prayer so that he will show up?